Bibles and open with me to John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, in chapter number 13 this morning. As you're turning there, may I encourage you to be here tonight. I'm going to start a, a Sunday evening series uh, starting tonight and going the next uh, few months. I'm uh, going to be talking about soul winners in the New Testament. I'm uh, going to be looking at some biographies of some people who effectively share Christ. Doing so because I believe God would want us to effectively share Christ. God would want us to be able to share Christ with our, with our family, with your children, uh, with your co-workers, with uh, those you uh, spend time with. And we're going to spend some time looking at the Word of God the next several weeks in our Sunday afternoon service. Tonight will be 4 o'clock. And uh, we're going to look at John the Baptist tonight, a unique man. And we're going to be looking at the lives and, and practices of these people and learn what we can that we can apply in our lives as we seek to be better soul winners. And one other uh, reminder is before we look at our text, next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. we're starting a new Sunday School series on prayer. Uh, we're going to be using uh, Dr. John R. Rice's book, Asking and Receiving, is a bit of a textbook as we uh, learn a bit about prayer and what prayer is. And I hope you'll be here. I, be, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'll be a blessing to every believer. Every believer ought to have a prayer life. I, I didn't say you ought to pray. You ought to have a prayer life. You ought to have a relationship with God. Uh, there are some folks that if I am needing prayer, I know that I call because I know they have a prayer life. I know that they talk to God on a regular basis. I, I hope that all of us would desire to have that kind of walk with God. And uh, we'll start our next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We'll start our series that way. Look here at John 13 and verse number 17. We'll uh, actually let's look back just a little bit. Uh, verse 10, we'll start there. Jesus saith, Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. In verse 17, our text verse this morning, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Notice the verse again, if ye know these things, happy are ye are ye, if you do them. I want to talk to you this morning on how to be happy. Not how to be happy according to the world. Not how to be happy according to our culture. Not how to be happy according to what we think or what we feel. But according to God's word, what is God's path? God's direction? How does God tell us in his word to be happy? Before we pray, I want you to understand that God loves you. Say, so, Pastor, how do you know that? 
Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can take a screenshot of Calvary and you can see a Savior hanging on that cross and you can know God loves me. God not only loves you, he wants the best for you. I believe with all my heart, according to God's word, God wants you to be happy. He wants us to spend eternity with him. God's goal is not for you to be miserable. God's goal is not for you to hate life and hate everything about life and uh, dread every moment of life. Rather, the Bible says we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And let's start off with the premise and the foundation this morning of knowing that God wants us to be happy. He wants a relationship with you, and he wants you to enjoy that relationship, and he wants us to find true, complete happiness. Let's pray together. Lord, as we read this passage, we see you teaching yet again the disciples. Lord, not long before you would go to Calvary. Lord, as we think of knowing the truth. Lord, there are many of us here this morning who would have to confess that we know the Bible. We've read it many times. We know a lot of truth that we're not following. And Lord, therein is our problem. Therein lies the obstacle before us. Lord, may we see this morning that we're happy when we do what we know. We're happy when we obey this book. Lord, the devil would like us to believe this morning that if we follow your word that we're going to be miserable. The devil, even now, is trying to convince us in every mind and every heart that your word is hard and that your path is difficult and unloving. But Lord, I thank you that you do love us. You proved that love on Calvary. We don't question that love this morning. We understand it and believe it. Lord, as we begin to look very simply at some thoughts about how we can be happy, Lord, I pray we follow your plan. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I start off this morning with a, a story. My wife and I uh, lived in northwest Indiana for several years while I was in Bible college. Of course, I am a West Virginia hillbilly, so it took me eight years to graduate with a four-year degree. And uh, while we were in college, we would try to. Most of my schedule when I was a college student, I was married. And I, was, uh, I worked a full-time job, or more than a full-time job during the day. And I went to night classes. I could not take a full schedule. I went, took night classes. I had classes Monday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. Wednesday night, I got to go to church with my wife. We got to go to Bible study. And the only night, the only time that we ever, that I ever had off was Friday evenings. And I mean the only time I ever had off for any reason. And uh, I would, from about 5 o'clock Saturday morning until about 1 o'clock in the morning, Monday morning, I literally, over 75% of that time, I was working in the ministry at our church. And I was very busy. I was working full-time, going to school at night, and so I got to see my wife just for maybe 30 minutes a day. I'd come home, I'd, I'd jump in the shower, change clothes, sit down at the table, eat a few bites of food, and take off again. That was my life. And we tried to, even in that busy of a schedule, we tried to every Friday night. Uh, I tried to, we tried to spend some time together, do something together. And many Friday nights, 
we would go out to a restaurant somewhere. We tried to go places that no one else went. We lived in an area where there, we saw the same people all the time. Big church, you know, five, 6,000 people in the church. A big college, couple, you know, lots of 1,000 people. And so you'd see, I like to get away from those people. <laughs> we like to find places no one went. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You just, you want to go away. And so we found little places that were unique. Uh, we found there was a little Polish uh, buffet we used to go to. My wife and I were always the youngest people there. Literally, the next, the next people up to us age-wise were in their 50s. It was like 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, they're old people. They had a guy playing polka all night on the accordion. It was awesome. The guy looked like Mr. Roper off three's company as well, but that's neither here nor there. But we would go little places like that. We found a little place called the Highland Diner we used to go. One of the places we found that we would go was a, uh, a Thai restaurant. How many of you like Thai food? I love Thai food. And it was called the Siam Marina. Now... It was not in a good part of town. My wife will tell you that it was a war zone outside the doors of the restaurant. It, it was a bad, crime-infested, drug-infested, dangerous area. But when you walked inside the restaurant, it looked like a thatched hut that you were walking inside of. It was a atmosphere was amazing. It was a hidden gem. It really was. And the, their food was amazing. My wife would probably murder someone to have one of their pineapple mousse cakes, right? wouldn't you? You'd murder somebody. If she didn't know them, she'd murder them. Uh, but we would go there once in a while on that Friday night. My wife always got the same thing, almost. I would try different things, but there was one thing that I loved back then that did not agree with me. They had a curry that, oh, my goodness, it tasted like heaven. Oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. But the first time I ate that curry, something about that particular curry, my body said, no. <laughs> and it did not set well inside of me. And I was miserable after I ate it. And I remember going home after having it the first time, and oh, I laid in bed and moaned and, and wailed and I was in great misery, way, much, way more pain than any woman has ever gone through in childbirth. I, I, you know, I struggled. It was worse than a man cold. It was bad. And my wife would say, you can't ever have that again. Don't ever do that again. And maybe four or five months would pass, and we'd go back into that bad neighborhood. We'd dodge the bullets. Uh, we'd say no to all the drug dealers. We'd go inside to that little haven of Siam Marina. And we'd sit down. My wife would order the same thing, Thai fried rice every time. And I would look at her sometimes and I'd say, I think I'm going to get the curry. How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. And she would say, you told me to tell you never to let you eat that again. I, I know, but it's so good. I just, it'll be okay this time. Can I tell you that would prove to be a lie? It wasn't okay that time. Now, I knew when I said to the waiter or waitress, I want whatever the curry was, I don't remember which one I ordered, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that I was going to enjoy my time eating it. I knew that it was going to be wonderful. And later that night, I was going to come close to seeing Jesus because I was going to almost die. <laughs> 
And my wife was going to not listen to my complaints because she was going to say, I told you. Told you not to eat it. Oh, I'm going to die. Now, that was the sound actually they used for the Tarzan movie. It was me moaning and complaining. But I knew it was going to be bad for me. But I liked the taste so much, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to try it one more time. Can I tell you the struggle we have, all of us? We know what's bad for us. We know what causes hurt and pain and brokenness in our life. And yet so often we go right back to it. Because we want the temporary rush. We want the warm, fuzzy feeling. The Bible says sin, when it is finished, bringing forth death. I want to share with you some thoughts, some encouraging thoughts. I'm not going to spend time this morning telling you the things that are destroying your life. Most of the time, we already know what they are. You could probably pinpoint it. I heard a preacher one time say that a man came, came to him and said, uh, Oh, I'm so, I, I want to I confess my sin, but I don't know what it is. And the preacher said, I tell you what, you ask God, and God will tell you. He said, every time, first time, he gets it, first time. Uh, we, he knows, you know. But I want to share some thoughts with you, some encouragements about how we can be happy. How we can stop being miserable as believers. By the way, some of the most miserable people on earth are God's people living outside the will of God and the plan of God. It's difficult. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at a few verses quickly this morning. I'm not going to uh, preach a long time. If there was some Thai curry in the back, I'd preach even shorter. But to Romans chapter 4. By the way, praise the Lord. God, God worked a miracle on me. I haven't had any trouble with curry in about 20 years. Hallelujah. I went through enough pain. That's a bad illustration. You're going to think, I'll do the same thing with sin. Let's scratch that illustration. But Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Romans 4, 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Number one, how can you be happy? Have your sins forgiven. Have your sins forgiven. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, every one of you would have to raise your hands. If I asked the question, how many of you are sinners? We'd all raise our hands. By the way, even if you didn't raise your hands, you'd still be a sinner. No, no, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I don't sin. Oh, so you have the sin of pride. No, you have the sin of being a liar. We're all sinners. Not only are we all sinners, we all sin. We all commit sin. No, no, Pastor, I don't ever sin. As again, I said, the, the sin of pride, the sin of lying. We could go a little deeper. We're all sinners. By the way, if you came here for the first time this morning, you're a sinner. If you say, Pastor, I've never missed a church service in my life. Ever since I was born, I started out coming to the nursery and I've come every Sunday school, every Sunday morning service, every Sunday night service, every Wednesday night service. I'm always in church, every service. You're a sinner. Oh, but I, I read my Bible. I read it every year. You're a sinner who reads his Bible. We're all sinners. We all share that in common. But the Bible says the way, one of the ways we can be happy, and this is, this is really the first step. That first step is understanding that our sins are forgiven. So how do we do that? 
How do we get our sins forgiven? By the way, it's not through a church. You can't come this morning and say, Pastor, I want Cornerstone Baptist Church to forgive my sins. I can't forgive your sins. A church can't forgive your sins. A pastor, a priest can't forgive your sins. By the way, the way to have your sins forgiven is not by weighing your sins. Okay, I have this many sins. I got to make sure I have more good than I have sins to balance it out. That doesn't cause your sins to be forgiven. There's only one way, only one way that man, and we're all sinners, can have our sins forgiven. And that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other payment. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Dear friend, he's not just a way. By the way, this morning, religion is not a way. Good works is not a way. Uh, sacraments is not a way. Baptism is not a way. Doing good deeds is not a way. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Number one, before we can ever be happy, you must have your sins forgiven. When I was a young person, I understood the fact that I was a sinner. By the way, you don't have to be 20, 30, 40 years old to know you're a sinner. I remember as a young boy remembering tricking my sister. I told my sister, who was two years younger than me, by the way, I told her this when she was three years old, so had she been a bit older, she would have seen through my scam. But I told her that nickels were worth more than dimes because they were bigger. Now, this is back in the 1979, 1980. You know, people didn't give us dollars very often, but once in a while, you here's a nickel, here's a dime, here's a whatever. And if someone gave us nickels and dimes, I'd, say, I'd tell my sister, I love you so much. I want you to have more than me, so uh, I'll give you all my nickels for your dimes so you can have more money. So, Pastor, you really did that? Sure did. I also remember being amazingly convicted of that sin when I was before the night I got saved. I remember thinking about that sin and thinking, man, I'm going to die and go to hell because I'm a sinner. And guess what? I was right. I was right. But I remember the night that I called on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. No religious works, no good deeds to balance out my wrong. I simply received and believe the gospel. The only way you can ever be happy if you're here this morning is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Without that foundation in your life, you will never know true joy, true happiness. You'll spend your life like I did with that Thai curry. Oh, I really enjoy this. It's wonderful. And then, in the end, sin bringing forth death. It's that vicious cycle that will never end, never fulfilled. Like the addict doing the drug, getting high, coming off, I need more. Doing the drug, coming down, I need more. And there's never fulfillment. Without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never know true happiness. Number one, to have your sins forgiven. That's the beginning of knowing true happiness. Look, if you will, in Psalm 119. And no, we're not going to read the entire, entire chapter this morning, longest in the Bible. We'll look at verse 16 together, Psalm 119 and verse 16. 
How do we be happy? Number one, have your sins forgiven. Number two, delight in God's word. Psalm 119, verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. We need to learn to delight in the word of God. Next Sunday, we're going to be having a, a fellowship meal after the service. We're going to have some Mexican food. How many of you are making a Mexican dish? How many of you have already thought about it? Praise God. Hallelujah. How many of you are making a German dish, Mennonite dish? How many of you have no idea what you're doing, but you're going to do something? There you go. I see those hands. How many of you are going to just like spin a wheel and whatever pops up? Okay, YouTube, what am I making? Look in the cabinet. Okay, I have ketchup and I have uh, some mayonnaise. Okay, what can I make with that? The next week we're going to have some Mexican food. I love Mexican food. How many of you like Mexican food? When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a rural part of the United States. I didn't grow up near a big city. I'd never been around a big city. I did not grow up in a culturally diverse area. I grew up in a place where everybody was from West Virginia, uh, probably for two or three generations. I had never heard another language other than English spoken at 18 years old, other than my Spanish class. That was it. I thought Taco Bell was Mexican food. How many of you think Taco Bell is Mexican food? Yeah, you, you need some help. Uh, I would seek professional help. Uh, you can try Cale, you can try one of the other Mexican, anyway. I thought, I thought that was Mexican food. I went to college at 18 and I, in a huge Hispanic area, I worked in ministry and I learned to fall in love with Hispanic food. I love it. I love everything about it. I, my wife, my wife and I could live. We could. She and I both could probably live on Hispanic food of any culture the rest of our life. We we love it. But I never knew what it was like until I tasted it. The first time I ever had, and this is not real Mexican. My favorite Mexican uh, food is, is sopas. I love sopas. Sopas make me happy. But. The first time I ever had a Chicago burrito. Now, that's not a true Mexican thing, but in the culture, they're, they're enormous. They're like this big. I mean, they're, they're ridiculous is what they are. And I went with uh, Pastor Wilkerson's brother-in-law, Dr. John Francis. And he took me there as an 18-year-old kid. I went, and he said, let's get a burrito. And I said, a burrito. Remember, I knew what Taco Bell was. <laughs> I'm 18 years old. I was used to eating enough food to keep an elephant alive. And I said, I'm going to need three or four burritos. And he looked at me and grinned. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, if you eat one burrito and you want another one, I'll buy you as many as you can eat. Where's Bond? Bond, you know what I was feeling at that moment. Bond's a kindred spirit. He loves to eat food. I was thinking... I'm going to make this man go broke. I'm going to eat more burritos than he's ever eaten in my life. And I get there and I watch him make the burrito. They had no rice in the burrito. It was steak. I mean, real from a cow. Like, you know, an animal that says moo. Uh, not some mystery ground stuff out of a plastic tube. As they cook the steak and put the steak and some refried beans and lettuce and cheese and sour cream. Hallelujah. 
uh, and they rolled that thing up, and it was that big, and they set it on the plate, and I got what's called sueso. Sueso is they have a melted cheese on top of it all. I heard angels singing. <laughs> I had a religious experience. It was good. How many of you are really hungry right now? I am. You know what I learned that day? Brother Mott, I love burritos. I love Mexican food. I acquired a taste. I would drive past a Mexican restaurant and I'd be like, I need a burrito. A few years ago, we drove through Chicago. I had a couple of preachers with me. I said, man, I got to take you to one of my old favorite spots. I had Pastor, I had Jim Price with me, and I think I had Brother Dan Crumball. And we drove into a place called uh, Tecalatalan. Tecalatalan is north side of Chicago. Uh, one of my favorite burrito places. Man, I would go there. Why? I learned to love burritos. You know what's a problem for many of us as believers? We haven't learned to love the Word of God yet. You know why? Because most of the time we haven't tasted it. The Bible says taste and see. Taste and see the Lord, He's good. So, oh, Pastor, I, I don't know. I, the Bible just doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I read one verse yesterday. It just didn't do anything. I mean, I read it three years ago. I read a, you know, a little bit. We need to learn to delight in it. We need to learn to love it. Now, that's not going to happen until you become familiar with the Word of God. It's not going to happen until you get to know it and you learn to let God speak to you. But can I testify that true happiness comes from knowing and loving the Word of God? having a relationship with the Word of God. The first of this year, we're going to be getting our new Bible reading schedules out. We're going to give you a couple of a couple extra tools this year to help you try to be faithful and consistent in your Bible reading. But all those are as tools. You get up every tool in the world. If you don't use the tools, they're not going to help you. The Christian, one of the ways you can be delight, one of the ways you can have joy is to learn to delight to read and study and love the Word of God. Number three this morning, we just turn to 1 John chapter 3. Other end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22. I said to be happy, you can have your sins forgiven. Number two, delight in God's Word. Number three, how to be happy, keep God's commandments. Keep God's commandments. 1 John 3.22 And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. In our text in John 13 verse 17, the Bible says if we know them and do them. If we know them and do them. Many of you here this morning have been around the word of God around the local church for a long time. Many of you, if you testify this morning, would say, Pastor, I've been a Christian for several years. Now, there are some of you here that say, Pastor, I'm a brand new believer. And by the way, I hope, I hope we see more brand new believers every week of the world. That's the purpose of the local church. Don't ever think because, man, Pastor, I'm just brand new. I just trusted Christ. Don't think you're a second-class citizen. I, I envy many of you brand new believers. Everything's fresh and new. There are many here that have been saved for a lot of years. They're like, eh. But you know what the Bible says. I could start reading some verses, and there are many of you that 
If, if I read part of the verse, you could probably finish it. If I listed some things in the Word of God we're supposed to do, you'd say, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I, I know that. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And yet we don't. And then we look at God and say, God, why is my life so miserable? Why am I in such mess? It'd be like me looking at my wife the night after I ate the Thai curry and said, I wonder why my stomach hurts so bad. I wonder why I'm in such, such distress right now. And she said, if you listen to me, as God looks down and says to us today, if you listen to me. You see, God wants the best for you. As we obey God's word, it's not a matter of God trying to keep us down or God trying to harm us. When we keep God's word, it's good for us. It's good for us. Sadly, many of my generation, I was a child of the middle 70s. Many folks from my generation, sadly, I see today online, social media, and places, people that had the same upbringing that I had, people that were reared in a Christian home, people who were taught the word of God and had the privilege of having loving parents who loved them and encouraged them to follow Christ. I find many of my generation today who have the same background that I have are angry. They're upset with God and upset with the Word of God, upset with their parents. Why, why did I ever follow Christ? Why, why did someone try to make me? And by the way, nobody can make you. That's the problem. If all you do is follow a set of rules and don't allow Christ to change your heart, you're going to be miserable. I can say this morning that I praise God for the direction, for the encouragement and teaching that I had as a young person because I was encouraged to keep the commands of God. Not so I could go to heaven. Not so I could be accepted by God. Not so God could look down and say, okay, He's good enough now. I think I like him. I think I'll accept him. That's not the purpose of keeping God's word. You're never going to impress God. I can never impress God. The Bible says my righteousness are as filthy rags. I hold my goodness up and say, God, check how good I am. As God goes, Mwah! that's pretty gross. But you have the righteousness of Christ. They encourage me to keep God's word. Can I tell you where it leads? Young person, can I tell you where it leads, keeping the word of God? Happiness. Happiness. I could have, we could have folks testify this morning, I will not. But I guarantee you in a group this size, there are believers here who could stand and testify of some brokenness and hurt in their life that came about from disobeying God's word. Some of you have seasons of your life that you wish you could go back and change because you wasted some time and you lived a miserable existence because you were disobeying the word of God. 
Elizabeth O'Neill, most of you know Elizabeth. She lives down in Airdrie now. She's a member of Airdrie Baptist Church. Elizabeth used to have a cat, Alex's mom, named Big Lou. Biggest cat I've ever seen in my life. You remember Big Lou, don't you? Oh, you were in high school. Your last year of high school, I think she got Big Lou. Big cat. It was, it was, I'm trying to look around and see who, who it was as big as. It was, it was as big as Pastor Rice. It was a big cat. First time I went to Elizabeth's home, that cat came and got on my lap. I don't hate cats, but I'm not a big, I'm not a cat person. Most of you know me. I'm a dog person. I, I don't hate cats, but I love dogs. Cats are, I don't know, they're just cats. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They're just, I don't know, they're cats. Cats know. Just so you know, cats are extremely intelligent. They know when you're not a cat person, they always come to you. And Big Lou came and climbed his big fat self on my lap when I, Carrie and I were there. And I don't want to say I'm here to visit this lady who just visited her church. And I didn't want to say, get your stupid cat off my lap. That wouldn't go well. Your mom would have really been offended. I didn't say, I'm going to twist his head off. No, I didn't say that. So you know what I did very discreetly? I decided to pet the cat backwards. Because cats don't like that. And I thought if I pet the cat backwards, it's going to get off of me. I don't have to deal with the cat. So I went to pet the cat backwards. You know what that big, and I'm not kidding, biggest cat I've ever seen in my life. You know what that cat did? He just turned around. He went, oh, this guy's kind of stupid. I, I'm going to have to train him how to pet me. So he turned around. I lie not for 10 minutes. I pet the cat backwards. He'd turn around. I'd start petting him backwards again. He'd turn around. And he'd look at me like, you big, what are you doing? Like, what is wrong with you, man? Don't you know how to pet a cat? So a cat didn't like it being petted backwards. We don't like it when we face the results of sin. But we can change what we think or what we feel, but it does not change what God does. God says when we keep his commandments, we have happiness. There's joy. There's blessing when we live inside the boundaries, inside the plan of the word of God. Look, if you will, back in the Old Testament again with me. A few more verses I want you to see quickly. And I hasten, Psalm 84. Psalm 84 this morning. We're going to look at verse 4 of Psalm 84. Blessed are they that dwell in the house, in thy house. They will still be still praising thee, Selah. Number four, how to be happy? Dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, what's that mean? That, Pastor, I, I should take up residence, live in the church? I was joking with Hans this morning. The Fallons are going to the Philippines this week. We're going to miss them. Uh, he didn't ask for permission to leave, so I'm a little upset with him. But they're leaving. And I told Hans this morning, I said, Hans, I said, I heard you're leaving. And he was excited. I said, you're not leaving, man. You're staying here. I said, we're going to put you, you're going to live upstairs at the church while mom and dad are gone. I was teasing him. That's not what it's talking about. I'm not talking about living in the building. It's speaking about the Levites. 
Happy are you that dwell in the house of the Lord. The Levites, their lot was to every day, every moment of every day, they were to serve the Lord. That was their life. Christian, can I tell you, the happiest you will ever be is serving the Lord. No matter where you lay your head at night, when you spend your day serving the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him. As the Bible tells us there in Psalm 84 and verse 4, they will still be praising me. We'll learn to praise the Lord when we serve the Lord and dwell in the house of the Lord. Number five, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, if you'll look there quickly with me. Familiar verse that most of you know. Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Number, number five, you can be happy if you wait on the Lord. Two things here quickly, and I, I've got to rush a bit this morning. Two things when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Wait on the will of God. Look at Abraham. Can I tell you the brokenness that we see on the news in the Middle East right now? The horrible atrocities and the brokenness on both sides and the pain and the hurt and lost lives and heartache. It can all be traced back to Abraham saying, God, I'm tired of waiting on you. I'm not going to wait anymore. Christian, wait on God. Wait on God's perfect will. Amen. Young people, don't get ahead of God. Young people, wait on God's perfect will. Not only wait on his will, but number two, we use the word waiter or waitress. Someone who waits on us at a restaurant, waiting for our next order. Christian, would you get busy waiting and say, God, what do you want next? God, what's the next step you want for me? What can, how can I serve you better next? Waiting on the Lord brings happiness. Back in Psalm 84, and I'll read for you quickly, verse 12, the same passage. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Number six, how do we find happiness? Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. How many of you have ever tried to carry groceries out to your car and you put too much stuff in your bag? And the bag broke? And the jar of pickles shattered? And your fruit got destroyed? And stuff's rolling all across the parking lot? And you start saying bad words like Bonnie Dingle and all kinds of other bad words? That's my new favorite swear word is Bonnie Dingle. Because you... You trusted too much. Now I know nowadays, you know, you got to pay seventy-five dollars to get one plastic bag, and they're illegal anyway. You got to buy them on the black market. But back in the old days, you know, the the, the pre-prohibition days of Edmonton, uh, back when we had those evil plastic bags, and back when they would give them to you, remember that? That's way back in the past, man. When they were free, that's like old school. And I remember watching as a cashier put a milk jug in a plastic bag and started to hand it to me. I remember saying, can I get a second bag? You know why I asked for a second bag? 
I trusted a one bag once. And it broke. And the milk exploded. It makes you pretty sad whenever you trust in something and it doesn't work. You go out to start your car. Last Sunday, while we were while I was preaching in Calgary, uh, Josh and Rebecca stayed at our home. And Josh went out and started his truck, and the battery was dead. It wouldn't start. Praise God, he was at our house, and I had an extra vehicle. He stole my vehicle. Uh, I reported him to the RCMP. They're going to catch him. <laughs> but every one of us have put our trust in something that let us down. By the way, people let you down. Sometimes family lets you down. That hurts the worst. But can I tell you one person that will never let you down is Jesus Christ. Amen. You can trust him. When you put your trust in the Lord, it brings happiness. It brings joy. Lastly, let's look at James 1. We'll close here with this. James chapter 1. Right before the book of 1 Peter. At the end of your Bible. James chapter 1 and verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life to which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Number seven, how do we find happiness? Endure, endure temptation. David on the rooftop as the king faced temptation. He saw Bathsheba. And he gave in. Can I tell you one of the reasons David gave in is he was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But he had a choice to make. Had David chose to reject temptation, oh, how happy his life would have been compared to the brokenness that came through his sin with Bathsheba. Every one of us, sometimes several times a day, Come to a crossroads. We have to choose. The Bible says when we endure, we, we don't give in to temptation, we find happiness. If I could take you quickly on a trip to my family's farm where I grew up, you could walk across the backyard of my parents' home. You could find a little gravel road that goes down between the garden and my uncle's home. If you'd follow that little gravel path along, it turns and then it drops over the hill into the first set of fields behind the barn. You could follow that little road, that dirt road. On the left side of the dirt road is one field. On the right side is another field. The left side of the road is a family's farm. The right side is a dear friend's farm, like family that connected there. When you keep going, you come to a T, crossroads. Now, the reason the road stops is because if you kept going, you'd drop down into the creek bottom, never to be seen again. You're not going to get through there. So you have a choice to make at the end of that road between the two fields. If you go to the left, you can go along the creek on the west side of the property 
If you go to the left, you can go and cross down by the creek and come back up and go to the back fields on the back side, past the creek on the back end of the property. Two more sets of fields going back to the river. But where you end up on that farm depends on where you go from the crossroads. The only way to get back to the back fields is to turn right. There's no other way. If you want to go back there, you have to make a right. You can turn left all you want, but you'll never find the back fields. Christian, there's only one way to happiness. Only one way. And it's to go right. When I face temptation, it's to say no to temptation and go the right way. And every time I do that, I find myself at the end of, at the end of joy and happiness with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I believe God wants us to be happy. If you're here this morning and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, God loves you. He desires to forgive your sins, to give you a home in heaven, to have an eternal relationship with you. He offers you eternal life by grace alone if you call on him. We can have happiness. But a lot of this, you know what we're going to do? In just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. In just a moment, we're going to we're going to stand with an opportunity to go to prayer, an opportunity to deal with God. And yet we're going to leave here just the same. And we're going to look at our sin just like I looked at that curry. And go, ah, I'll try it one more time. I'll see if that brings me happiness one more time. And we're going to end up just as miserable. Just as miserable. Let's obey the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have. Lord, to glorify you. Lord, I thank you that we can live enjoying the blessings that you want us to have. Thank you that we can be happy. Lord, I pray you'd help us to follow your recipe and your pattern. Lord, would you be glorified during this time of invitation? Lord, would you help us to make the right decisions this morning? Lord, as we come to this time, Lord, I pray if there be one here that knows you're not a Savior, I pray today, Lord, would be the day that they would come to you. Lord, would you work in hearts and lives this morning? In your precious name we pray. Amen.